Colossians chapter 1. We covered a little bit in verse 1, and really we just took a word out of verse 1, and we're dealing with the will of God. We'll try to finish that up this morning. I want to mention, because we are going through the book of Colossians, we're not really trying to go through the book of Romans and the book of Ezekiel and all those things. We do have to turn there from time to time uh, to make points about different little things. But I do want to point out that the book of Colossians is its own chapters. It has its own chapters. It has its own, it has its own context and its own teachings. So we're not going to go through the book of Colossians without dealing with the book of Colossians. Amen. The makeup of verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 on down through. It has its own teaching it has its own doctrine it has its own admonition edification all these things so we're going we're not going to skip those things we're not just going to pick out a word in each verse and chase you know references all over the bible we want to learn what the book of colossians has to say and we'll be better able to do that if we understand what you know the different things are you read through your bible and from time to time you'll see topics like the will of god or the grace of god we need to know what the will of god is and we need to know what the grace of God is. When you learn the little words that make up the sentences and you know what they mean and, and not only know what they mean, but you know what they mean biblically, then when you read the context of Colossians chapter 1 or Romans chapter 1, you see those words, you know what he's talking about, not just uh, fill in the blank. You, I kind of see what he's saying, but I don't really know what God's will is. And who hasn't asked that question? What is the will of God? And, and most people ask it, what is the will of God for me? Let me remind you that that's not a selfish question. And uh, don't completely let yourself off the hook uh, altogether. What I'm saying is that when you ask, what is the will of God for me? It's not so, uh, really when you ask what the will of God is, it shouldn't be a selfish question. It shouldn't be all about you. What is the will of God? And I believe you'll find that what the will of God is for one, that it is for another. And the will of God is, you say, well, I'm my own individual. Well, in a great sense, yes, but also in a great sense, no, because we're bought with the price. We're, pla we're pra uh, placed into the body of Christ when we're saved. No man liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. And we all have a great effect on one another. And we all... Uh, the Bible says we're members in particular of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. And everything that we do has a great effect on uh, others and has a great effect on one another in the household of God especially. And so uh, when, we need to, when we want to find out what the will of God is, we need to recognize that the will of God is for us over and above what the will of God is for me. And, and the will of God for you is very definable in the Bible. The will of God for us as a body is very definable in the Bible. And so that's what we're trying to do here over this uh, class. And I'm sure we'll do it many times as we go through the book of Colossians. We'll, we'll find a word that needs to be expounded on and, and broaden our horizons with a better understanding of these things. And who doesn't need to know what the will of God is. We all certainly do. Amen. So that's what we've been talking about. Let's go ahead and reread the passage that we read last week. And then we'll get back into it. By the time we uh, get through 10 verses, maybe we'll 
uh, have them memorized. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now I'm going to, rather than reading that whole passage again, let me stop right there in verse 5. and uh, it's, It kind of fits with the theme that I'm going to talk about this morning a little bit once we get into Romans chapter 12. But I want you to notice that sometimes God talks about one thing, but he uses multiple things to describe it. And just for an example, many people are going to read through the Bible their first time, maybe their second time, and third time. And, and one of the questions that will pop up in your mind, uh, verse number uh, 2, for example, he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll say, well, there's two different things. We teach they're the same. Why does he continually say in, in the, each book that he writes, Romans and, and Galatians and Corinthians, and why does he continually make it seem like that they're two separate instead of just being one? And if you'll notice, he says, from God the Father, in your natural mind, you'd think that's one. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd think that's two. Well, oftentimes, especially in the writings of Paul, but oftentimes in the Bible, you will see that, that the Lord is trying to convey one thing to you or talk about one thing to you, but he uses multiple ways of describing it. Now, God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ are the same being. There's no question about that. If you think, well, no, sir, that's describing two different folks. Well, then look down at uh, verse number three, and he says, we give thanks to God and the Father. So not talking about two things. It's talking about one thing, one person, and he uses two ways of describing it. And when you, when you do that, really uh, don't get confused by the fact that it looks like two or three people that he's talking about. Or two or three wills that he's talking about. Or two or three anything. Just know that he's given you more than one way to look at the same thing. And when you look at things from different viewpoints, from different aspects. And by viewpoints I don't mean by different views. I just mean different ways of looking at it. Then you understand things better. If you inspect a house from the front of it, then you see curb appeal. Uh, take a walk around back and see what it looks like in the backyard, amen? And then maybe pull the siding back and look at what's underneath and you get more than one viewpoint about a thing and you understand it better. And that's the way it is also with the Word of God. He gives us many subjects and He gives us many things to look at when dealing with those individual suspect, uh, uh, suspects. Yeah, suspects. Talking about you, amen? Suspects. Uh, when He uh, gives us uh, many subjects to think about, amen? Alright, let's look again in verse number 1. I hope you understand that. If not, you'll run across it before you, uh, before you die, I'm sure, because most people do. I've heard that question many times. Why does it look like he's talking about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ being uh, two different folks? Why doesn't he just say, grace be unto you from God? Leave it at that. Well, he's, he's given you more than one aspect and more than one revelation of God and there certainly is more than one revelation of God. God reveals himself in many different ways. 
God reveals himself as a father. God reveals himself as a son. Uh, God reveals himself as a spirit. And matter of fact, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there is a lot of stuff to learn when you're talking about God. And then not only that, but there's a lot of things that we have to learn. A lot of uh, uh, manifestations of the will of God. The will of God is going to manifest itself in your emotions. Amen. Your mental state, your, the way of looking at things and the way of responding to things. That's one of the greatest hardships for me as a Christian is learning the right way to respond to things. And, and you may not know what I'm talking about there, but if you are kin to the human race and have uh, deal with the emotions of the human heart, uh, sometimes you want to just love folks and pray for them all day and all night and sometimes you want to choke them out and send them to the hospital. And response is a great and, uh, and uh, perilous uh, aspect of the Christian life and so w there's lots of ways and lots of things uh, that God is going to reveal to us about his will different aspects how to think about things how to actually respond to things uh, sometimes it does take a little anger sometimes it it does take extra compassion uh, superhuman compassion it seems but we're dealing we're dealing in the gospel not with perfect creatures but we're dealing with uh, with sinful willful uh, human, fallen, uh, fleshly, carnal people. And to expect that you'd be dealing with less than that or different than that is just uh, ridiculous. You're not, there, there is no place on this earth to serve where there are not people who are just eat up with people traits, people characteristics. And they can be the very best of Christians and be just consumed with people traced. That's why preachers begin to pastor a church or perform some ministry and the people just wears them out because they expect, well I'm going to teach a great message and everybody's going to believe that message and then they're going to start acting right and we're going to have the best church on the planet and there's going to be no troubles and that's just not the case. Uh, we are dealing with people and people who's saved Body, soul, and spirit are still going to be in the flesh and they're going to be carnal and they're going to have responses uh, that you don't expect or responses that are not uh, designed to make you your most comfortable. And so that's going to happen. And if you're not, if you're not set, if you're not uh, stable, if you're not established, if you're not expecting that, you know, uh, then it's going to be a wake-up call for you. And you're going to soon, you know, decide that wasn't the will of God for you after all. Amen? Uh, but consider Jesus who was born, mind his own business, grow up. I imagine there probably was never a boy as wonderful to raise as the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I wasn't there. But I just imagine that, don't you? He probably never had a diaper to change, or I don't. I don't know. I can't imagine Jesus having to have a diaper change. Can you? Well, probably didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't teach that as doctrine, but I'm going to keep it in my mind just that way. Uh, but at any rate, uh, all all kidding aside, you know, uh, Jesus grew up and probably expected the the best out of life. And I don't know. I believe he was 100% man. I believe he was 100% God. I don't completely understand all that stuff, but I know it's true because the Bible tells us that he was a man. He was born of a woman, 
And uh, the thing that we have to imagine about that is the book of Job says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. And being God manifest in the flesh, I would imagine you'd get your way sometime. But he got a cross. And I imagine that he could speak so well. Brother Mike, I would like to be able to speak so well that at the end of the day there'd be no questions and nobody would have to argue with me about anything and that everybody would come up to the level of reasonableness that I just served up. But that's a far stretch for me. But for Jesus, I would think if he said it, that, that the, everybody at the end of the day would be believers. But he met with unbelief. And he met with naysayers and he met with those that disagreed with him and, and uh, caused him hardship and tried to you know, stir things up against him just like Paul did. And just like every Christian who's ever done anything for God since Paul and just like you and I are going to run into, we're not going to run into uh, you know, beds of roses. Lots of briars and thorns along the way. But this is the will of God that we're talking about and describing. And if you preach five weeks and get nobody come to the altar and nobody saved, this is the will of God. It's the will of God for you to preach to people, not to save people. God does the saving. And God does the changing. Uh, if I knew how to change a human heart and change the ways that somebody if I could make real repentance in the heart of a person well, that you'd, be, you'd have one of the keys to run in the world if you could do that but you can't do that but the word of God can and God can and the Holy Spirit can and so we have to find God's will this is the chief reason we find God, God's will for the perfection of our own lives and, and for, the, for the ministry to others' lives. And so it's worth our taking a few minutes uh, to look at these things. And then when we, when we do understand that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, not just because he found himself in that position. Once when we were going to Georgia, my, my wife asked, why? <laughs> why would we go to Georgia? Why are we going to Georgia to pastor a church? Uh, the simplest and easiest answer that I could give her at the time was, it fell to us. Somebody asked us, and we could say yes and go. We could say no and let it fall to somebody else. Uh, but then again, you know, if you let it fall to somebody else, you can't complain. Hey, well, if I was the pastor of that church, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, if you're not willing to step in and do it yourself, then just be quiet about it. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, uh, a lot of times you talk about the abilities that you have, and then you talk about uh, what the will of God is, and it's best just to... Find out what the will of God is and trust God to give you the abilities when you get there. Amen. And uh, of course you need training, you need discipleship, you need all those things. But still, after you get those things, you'll still just be flesh and your, your, your knowledge and your wisdom will be incomplete. But if you're in the will of God, I believe God will fill all gaps. And I believe that with all my heart. And so let's find out what, let's find out what the difference is in, in just having something fall to you. Or working to put yourself in a position to do this job or that job. And find out what it is to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. One that is sent by God. One that is sent by Christ to do His will. And have all that to be because of His will. What I'm doing today, what I'm doing in my life. And this could be me saying it or you saying it. 
what I'm doing in my life is the will of God. This is what God sent me here to do. This is what God left me to here to do. And I promise you, little things like uh, a great portion of the depression, a great portion of the grief, a great portion of the uncertainty, uh, a great portion of the, the doubts and fears will dissipate. And that, that's not to say they'll never enter your mind. But that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, that we sing about will show up in your, in your heart and your mind uh, a great deal more than it has in the past and you'll have reason to praise him and, and shout a little bit and say amen or at least smile once in a while. Amen? Alright, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Let me say this first this morning. It's God's will for you to live by faith. Before I answered any question like it's God's will for me to be a missionary or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or anything like that, let's just agree that it's God's will for us to live by faith. And that's true for me, it's true for Brother Joe, it's true for Sister April, it's true for Brother Chris, it's true for every single one of us. Every single one of us, it's God's will for us to live by faith. And if you'll begin that journey and if you'll start walking down that road, uh, you're not going to have very many questions down the road. We'll cover stuff like pastoring a church and, and, and what God's more specific will for you is later on, but I wouldn't even worry about what God's will for me to do uh, specifically with my life. I wouldn't even dare to worry about that. Right now, I'm not thinking of next year at all. Next year doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, we, may not, we may not be here next year. I individually may not be here next year. And there's no, sometimes my wife says, uh, uh, I'm going to the grocery store. What do you think that you'll want to eat over the next couple of days? And I said, I don't even know what I'm going to do with the rest of my day, let alone what I want to eat Thursday. I'm not thinking about Thursday. By the time I get to Thursday, I will not even remember today or what I had for supper today or how good it was. And, and you know, things like that just, you know, escape me. I don't have the greatest memory. And I don't, uh, I guess I don't have the greatest foresight either. Memory or foresight. Uh, I guess foresight is the memory of things that you haven't done yet. And I have a bad memory on both sides. Amen. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I wouldn't worry too much about if God's going to use you as a Sunday school teacher. It's okay. The Bible says covet earnestly the best gifts. If there is a gift, if, you're, if teachers and pastors and uh, things like that are gifts to the church, if God left those things as, as gifts, and if you'll be able to partake in some of those things, those are great things. It's uh, not uncommon for men to think about things like that. It's not uncommon for a lady to say, well, I would like to teach a Sunday school class or anything. It's not, it's not out of the way. It's not evil to think of those things. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that it's better to find out what the will of God is for everybody and be doing those things. Please do not accept the pastorate of a church and then try to figure out what God's will is. Is it God's will for me to do this? Uh, if you'll find out what God's will is for you to do day by day, just as a Christian, and then by the time you get to the point where God opens the door for you to 
to be a pastor or be a Sunday school teacher, it'll be the smoothest and the easiest transition. Matter of fact, I believe if you're in the will of God and following God's will, I believe that he gives so much peace and so much confidence that even if you go in on your first day and just make a first-rate fool of yourself, I believe it'll be all right. Everybody, probably, I know many, th- many times I've said things that are just stupid and inconceivable and people laugh or think it's a joke or something like that and God just covered the thing up for me. And sometimes you'll do crazy stuff and God will cover it up for you and make it look like you're a genius or something just just because the condition of your heart, the willingness to do the right thing. I'm certain that God has many times, not just for me, but for every man who's opened his mouth to preach the gospel has covered for him in a great and mighty way on multiple occasions not just once in a while when you accidentally mess up we we live messed up lives and messed up in the sense of we get things wrong and we do things that we ought not do and say things that we ought not say in the moment sometimes we inject bravado when intelligence would have been better amen Uh, We inject masculinity or femininity when just common sense and a straightforward approach would have been better. Uh, We interject sympathy or drama of some kind when just relaying what God said would have been better. Amen? Now, uh, situations are going to be different. I understand that. Things are going to, you know, come out the way they come out. But I, I just don't see any need. I don't see any need. And I wish I could get this point across. I don't see any need to put flourishes on something that's so simple. The Bible says that the will of God, the, the doctrines of God, the truth of God, the principles of God, the Bible says they're easy to be entreated. All you have to do is be a mouthpiece and put them out there and God will find the faithful heart. God will find the receptive mind. God will find the, the, the person that's looking for the truth. There may be people out there that's not going to respond, but that's a matter of the heart. That's not uh, Somebody receiving what you're preaching or receiving what you're trying to get across is not dependent on your dynamics It's not dependent upon how well of a grasp you have of the English language or the Greek language or any such thing as that. It just depends upon the fact you're telling the truth and they're hearing the truth. That's all there is. I see preachers cry when they preach and I just wish that y'all would understand what I'm trying to get across to you today. But I don't see no tears. And when I cry, I need a snot rag. You say, why? Because I'm crying. I'm not trying to put out flourishes so that people, you know, their heart's affected. You know, I've seen people, uh, I keep telling you about my old pastor because I really love him. I really do. Preacher Lackey grew up under his preaching, grew up, his wife brought us to church. I love my pastor with with all my heart. Some things I see that he did wrong, some things I see that he did right, but he was very evangelical. And he wanted people on the altar and he wanted people to get saved. There's nothing wrong with that. But he did that fake crying thing all the time and I couldn't stand it because he weren't crying. And if we think about it, that's a lie. It's a lie. You know, like some of you ladies cry to your husband so you get that whatever it is. I don't know. And you men do the same thing. We men do the same thing. Oh, I need this so bad. No, you don't. You want it so bad. 
Well, preachers are the same way. They want the response so bad and it, uh, maybe they've connected the response to the message to their ego and they'll do anything in the world to get you to move. Well, the only thing necessary to do in the world to get because you get somebody to move emotionally, maybe it's real, maybe it ain't. I hope it is. I can't judge a man's heart. Somebody tells me they believe, Brother Joe. I believe them. A man tells me they're saved, I, I take them at her word because I can't judge that. You know, I was thinking about a situation yesterday where, you know, uh, uh, you meet up with a lady, and uh, as I did this past week, and her husband had passed away, and uh, I'm not sure that she's connected to any sensible religion or anything like that. Well, imagine me witnessing to this woman and telling her that her husband was in hell when I don't know him, never met him. But I'm telling her this awful story that's not going to translate the way you think it is in her mind and try to use that to uh, inflate some estimation of God in her mind or produce some fear in her mind that she doesn't want to go to that horrible place anyway. But I'm using something I know nothing about. Her husband. I never met him. How could I say, even if, say, my husband was a Mormon, what good would it do for me uh, because many Baptists have turned into Mormons just by not reading their Bible. What good does it do me to stir up some fear about a lost loved one that I never met in order to get her to be saved when all I have to do is present her the truth of the gospel and not delve into things I don't know anything about, especially emotional things. See, those are flourishes. Those are things that are put on there to put an extra curl in the pig's tail. That has nothing to do with anything. The will of God is for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And part of that is having faith to believe that that is enough. Now, uh, you, you've heard me say things like this before. And if you want to put on plays and skits and stuff like that, do it till the cows come home. I don't care about that. But what I do know is that I don't have to put on a play to get somebody stirred up to make them believe. When if I said to you, Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried and he rose again, he died for your sins, and that he's willing to save you, and that whosoever, whoever, you, if you call on him, he'll save you. If that doesn't work, changing his emotions is not going to work. It's just going to make him do something that he doesn't really want to do under other circumstances. It's almost like being drunk, being on emotions. Have you ever got mad and said things you would not have said otherwise? That's just like drinking and saying and doing things you would have not have done otherwise. So I like to catch people just as even kill as I possibly can. Hey, you go to church somewhere? No. Does that mean you're not saved? Does that mean you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior? That could be... You usually get a straightforward answer like that. Well, you know, I, I do believe. I was in church at one point in time. I think I'm saved. Uh, but I've been out of church for a long time. You know, well, you probably are lost, you know. <laughs> That's not the right answer. That's not the right answer. Because you've read, you've read 2 Peter chapter 1 as well as I have. The Bible says some people have forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. Because there's a list of things there that are God's will. Add to your faith virtue. That's God's will. 
to virtue knowledge, to knowledge of patience, to patience temperance, to temperance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. You add those things, the Bible says you'll never fall. He said if you don't have those things, you're blind and cannot see afar off and have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. I'm not going to try to stir that guy up emotionally to get him to make another profession of faith. Somebody did that to me when I got out of the Marine Corps. I made another profession of faith. And about three weeks in God's word and a little bit of prayer, God said, now you don't think I saved you when you called on me the first time? Yeah. Well, matter of fact, I do. And he showed me Second uh, Peter chapter 1. I said, hmm. Because I remember being a little seven-year-old boy at the, at the daycare center after church witnessing to people. And people, little kids, dear Jesus, come in. My, I believe that's as real as, as it ever has been. And I don't believe it was the devil or some uh, spirit of man either that caused me to, you know, go around the, the, the little kids. I guess it was a state facility. I don't know. But the little community daycare center and witness to those kids. I believe it was God's spirit. I believe it was the same God operating through the same will that he was operating in when he used my pastor to preach a message on the judgment of God and I come down the altar and got saved that day. Same God, same will, same spirit, same power, same effect. The effect of the operation of God in your life is the same whether you're a five-year-old kid or a 50-year-old kid or a preacher or a deacon, or the person that, that makes up the congregation come to church every week and just try to do God's will. In God's will, in God's will, the, the playing field is very level. There's not a, an archbishop and a bishop and a priest and a monk and a lowly peon. That's the way the kingdom of heaven works. That's the way the daily operation of this world works. That's not the way the Christian church works. Any person, any man, any woman in this building can find the will of God and walk out of this building as powerful as any preacher, as any prophet that there ever has been. Don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to say, what is your will for me, O God? And then when he shows you, do it. Just do it. Amen? So, we're talking about the will of God. It's God's will for you to live by faith. So, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, I think probably all of you could uh, quote it. No, maybe not this one. Romans 1, 17 is not the same as Romans 10, 17. My mind, whenever I see Romans with the 17, it just slips over to chapter 10. But Romans 1, 17 is this. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at justification. One is that you did what you did and there was a good reason for doing it. That's what justification means. Okay? I know you heard the Sunday school, justification means justified, never sinned. That's a very simplified way of looking at it, and it's true. But the word justification has a, a real and effectual meaning in it. And to be justified means you had a good reason and a right reason and an effective reason for doing what you've done. And Romans uh, chapter number 4 says, if Abraham, were just, if Abraham our father were justified by works, he hath, not he would have, he hath whereof to glory. 
Now here's the negative part, but not before God. You know, uh, how many of you, and I don't mean to, you don't have to raise your hand if it's an embarrassment to you, but how many of you smoked cigarettes and you stopped? Okay, you were justified in doing that. That was the right thing to do. So in that work that you've done, I presume you might have done it for your health. If you've done it for your health, you were justified in that. Because I know that non-smokers are, are going to be healthier than smokers. Okay? Also, if you've done it because you thought God was displeased with it, you're justified in that. That was a good thing to do. That was a good thing. You, you saw that it was a carnal thing. You saw that it was a foolish thing. You saw that it was a fleshly thing. And you've done it. And you're justified in it. You should have done it. You should have stopped smoking dope. And you should have stopped smoking cigarettes. And you should have stopped drinking beer. You, you stop doing all those things. You're justified in doing it. There's a good reason for it. You should have done it. And you did do it. And you can afford to say, I'm glad I've done that. Amen. That was a good thing. Amen. But not before God. Now God says to you, uh, is there, now... God is not going to say this because it's not a question in God's mind. But just for the sake of you understanding, God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, I quit smoking. That is not going to justify you before God. Now let me, let me restate the fact. God is never going to ask you, what did you do? Simon Peter is not going to meet you at the gate. And decide to let you in or not let you in. That's the beginning of a very bad joke. Especially if it's being told from a pulpit. Uh, Simon Peter's not has nothing to do with letting you in. And Jesus already knows. You're not going to die and go to heaven. And then God say, oops, you're not supposed to be here. And send you back. To, no, sir. No, sir. That thing is already done. Right now, sitting here this morning. Your fate is sealed. If you're lost, you're going to hell. That's the only place you can go. There's no question about it. There is no dilemma. There's no debate about what have you done that we should, elect, uh, we should allow you into heaven. That is not a question. Your name is either already written or it's not written. If it's not written, you'll find yourself at the great right throne judgment one day. And that'll be that. It is not a question of whether you should. You say, why? Because it's God's will. Before the foundation of the world, it was God's will that those that believed in Him are predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Who makes the cut and who doesn't? It's not some, some are born to be lost and some are born to be saved. It's, do you believe? If you believe, you're going to heaven. And if you, it's not a question of if you done this or done that and justified yourself by your works. It's do you believe on him? Now I'm not going to get into some arguments or anything like that. The Bible does give you things that can assure yourself that you're a believer in Christ. But there's, there, there, are, there are some limited things. I can look at a person and you can look at a person and you can tell that he has Christian characteristics. But I promise you this, Christian characteristics in another person is not sufficient for you to know if they're saved or if they're not saved. That's an individual thing. Now, there's many times that I've saw, you know, a, a Christian, a so-called Christian, a self-proclaimed Christian do things that are utterly unbelievable. 
And I formed an opinion. That guy right there is not saved. But then I've seen God do a work in their heart and in their life and change their countenance and change their outlook and change uh, every, uh, many things about them to the point where I said, I guess God, I guess he is God's son. And, and you know, God whooped him and chastened him and corrected him and got him straightened out. That is a good brother right there. Two weeks later. And I think probably everybody could say that about me or uh, you could say that about one another. Sometimes I think he's saved and sometimes I'm not very sure. Because the human uh, mind, uh, the mind of men and the heart of men and the flesh of men, it's a roller coaster. You'll be up and you'll be down. You'll be back up and you'll be back down. Living in this world is unstable ground. The most stable ground and the most solid ground, the, the most firm foundation that you'll ever find is finding what God's will for your life is and changing your life. And I don't mean that you of yourself have the power to change everything. But when I say change your life, I mean stop living according to the course of the world and follow the will of God. Paul says in Romans 1, he said, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. And that establishment, we, the Bible calls it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He calls the people who are trying to become established disciples. Discipline. It's discipline. Uh, when you go to boot camp, uh, preferably it's the Marine Corps, but even if, I guess, I suppose, if you went to the Air Force, I suppose that they would spend a little bit of time with you before they sent you off to your duty station to try to discipline you into a different frame of mind to where now as an Air Force, I don't know what, Air, Airman, Airman, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, we called him Zoomies. Or eraser heads because of that funny cap that they wore. But anyway, uh, all that kidding aside, uh, what? Amen. <laughs> hey hey that's funny, ain't it? <laughs> but but at any rate, uh, they don't want an airman. They don't want a private. Uh, they don't want a sailor to act like a high school kid. That's nothing but trouble. That's brig. Uh, the brig is about to take place. You're about to find yourself in the brig. Amen. Uh, somebody asked me, did you ever have to do KP? Well, I didn't ever have to do KP, but I would rather do KP than go to the brig. KP is not fun. Kitchen patrol, kitchen duty is not fun. Washing all them pots. I had enough KP when I was a teenager and a little boy. Mama said, get in that kitchen, wash them dishes. And my mama would say all kinds of loving stuff like, when I get home from work, there better not be no dishes in the sink. That's love talk right there. Amen. <laughs> Because it has to do with discipline. Amen. And if you want an established, stable life, find the will of God and discipline yourself to do it. You mess up tomorrow. From now on, I'm going to read my Bible every day and memorize some scripture. I put up on our refrigerator a challenge to the family. Memorize one verse of scripture every day for the rest of your life. It was like six months ago. You think I've learned 30 verses of scripture? <laughs> no, sir. It's discipline. No, sir. Probably nobody in the house has lived up to that. Secretly, some of these girls might surprise me, but I don't know. But it's a, it's a lofty goal, and it's better than learning one country song a day. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So, 
the, the amount, the proportion to which you discipline yourself to do those things on a daily basis, the things you know that you ought to do, those things are only going to come back for you good. And you'll never know it. Really, you'll, sometimes you'll think, oh, this, that, this stuff I'm trying to change in my life. And of course you're changing them by the help of God and by the will of God. All those things. We don't want to forget that. But sometimes you'll think, all these changes I'm making are worthless and useless. But there'll come a day. Yes, sir. There'll come a day when the mountain's so high, you'll think, you'll be, hey, I'm glad I shed off that excess weight before I started climbing this mountain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Romans 1.17, he says, the just shall live by faith. Amen? Now, that's connected to something. If I just said to you, if I got up one morning and I said, the just shall live by faith, what does that mean? Well, it's an open-ended statement. It doesn't mean it. it it means the just shall live by faith. That's a technical answer for that question. What does the just shall live by faith mean? That means the just shall live by faith. <laughs> well, bingo, you got that's that's the answer because it's not the question is not connected to any context. And I recommend when you when you're and I've said this many times before, but I'm going to keep saying it. I recommend when you're comparing scripture with scripture. Well, you connect the verse before it and the verse afterwards. That's scripture with scripture, isn't it? Yes, sir. Uh, we just connect. What we're doing, we're connecting Colossians chapter 1 with Romans 1.17. But they also connect together, you see. And so the connection is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, inside the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. The just shall live by faith. He says, as it is written, because he's quoting Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. The book of Romans says, uh, excuse me, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 says, the just shall live by faith. And so, you see, Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, which everybody likes to pawn off to some future dates and so that they can't apply it to themselves. The book of Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. book of Romans, right here in the Gentile church where we live, the just shall live by faith. Do you know what the Lord has always required and that the Lord has always searched for from Adam on down to this very day? Is that the just shall live by faith. And in this, in this aspect, he's talking about in connection with the gospel. Hebrews 10 he says, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Different context altogether. The Bible says uh, th that the way you got saved, the way you found Christ, which is by faith. He said, in that manner you ought to live and walk and breathe and all these things. He said that you ought to live that very same way that you were saved. You're saved. You have a new life. You have a new birth. You're a new creature created in Christ Jesus. So you, you live that same way. You live the same way you became the new creature. And so it applies to your salvation. It applies to your life. And you should have enough faith to, to know that God gets you through today. Though you were saved 10 years ago, God gets you through today. Just like he's going to get you through this life. Uh, you, you may say to yourself, my life is a living hell. My life is a living hell. You might be saying that to yourself. Well, how did God get you out of the literal hell? 
By faith? How do you suppose he's going to get you out of the living hell? By faith. So that we talked about Abraham. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath were off to glory. But there's another sense that Abraham was justified by believing. And in that same chapter, Romans chapter 4, the Bible says that David describeth the blessedness of the man to whom God would not impute sin. But then we have God's imputed righteousness. We, the, the, the difference between what, a, what God was talking about with Abraham, he's justified by works, but not before God. So how does a man get justified by God? By faith. Not by works, by faith. So if God delivered you from a, from a literal burning hell, a place of torment, a place of judgment, and he did that by faith, just by you saying, God... Save me. It's also God's will and it's also very much connected in the scripture that when your life becomes a living hell, there's a reason for that. And there's a consequence of that. And you escape those consequences the very same way by saying, God, save me. Amen. You say, why? Because the just shall live by faith. But you know, you got yourself into that living hell. Well, it's easy for us to get ourselves into a living hell. It's easy to get ourselves into bad circumstances. It's bad to get ourselves into grievous circumstances. Not very easy to get back out, is it? We were talking about yesterday. We were talking about very easy to quit good habits. Make a habit of going to church. On the, from the fleshly aspect, it's good. It's easy. Not good. It's easy to drop out. I've seen it happen many times. I've done it myself. Read your Bible every day. Easy to get out of that habit. Just make an excuse and you're out. Well, make an excuse for quitting smoking and see how easy that is. Smoking will make your life a living hell. Alcoholism. Liver disease. It's not that easy just to wake up one morning and decide, I'm never doing heroin again. But do you know people have done it? And I believe the best way to do it is, God, save me. Amen. Saying God save me today doesn't exclude the disciplinary part tomorrow. And the waking up every day and, and mortifying the deeds of the flesh, what we call crucifying the flesh. Get as right with God as you can today. Memorize three or four verses of Scripture and witness to a bunch of people. And by the time you go home, you and Moses are like on the septic tank mound out behind your house. You know, the, the transfiguration saying, man, this, this is the greatest day I've ever lived. Wake up the next morning and have the need for an old habit. Just shows up out of nowhere and think, man... Where did this come from? Yes, I mean, whatever help group you, you've got, I'm not saying nothing against that. But when those times come, it's not, it's not time to go through the 12-step program. It's not time to go to your buddy or call up an AA friend. That's where the microphone messes up and starts ringing. It's, that's not the time. That's not the time. It's now time to call on God. And say, God, help me with this. I'm going through it again. 
and he'll come. He'll come. You say, how do you know? Because God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above uh, that you're able, but will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. To bear it. To bear it. To bear it. See, all of your troubles in this world are not going to go away. But the ability to bear it is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. Amen? Oh, I seem to have lost all my time without getting into the point. But that's all right. Uh, we'll trust God. We'll preach by faith. Amen? And we'll pick up with this next week. We'll pick up and we'll talk. We'll go over to Hebrews and talk about a little bit about that. Uh, about that. God's soul not having pleasure. And I told you this last week, Romans 12, he talks about the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that's three descriptions there. We talked about that a little bit. But in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, If any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. So we're going to talk about the fact that God has no pleasure when a man gets out of his will and is not doing his good will, which is his perfect will. Amen. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll make that clear. I know a lot of people think that there's three wills. That God has a good will that's not perfect. No, He doesn't. No, He doesn't. God has a good and acceptable and perfect will. And uh, God has a will that He wants you to do. And then He has a will that He will permit you to do. No, God has His will. And He has grace. He does. He's long-suffering. Now that long-suffering is just, to, you know, the loss. No, it's not. God's long-suffering is definitely to His hard-headed children. Amen. I am a testimony to that. Aren't you? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, God, for your...